Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of TV7's Times Observer. I'm Jonathan Hessen, and joining me all the way from northern Israel, the Galilee region, is my dear friend and brother in Christ, Amir Tzalfati. Amir, how are you doing? Hey, great. Thank you, Jonathan. Shalom. It's great to be with you, although I'm a little uh, exhausted from a very tiring uh, ministry tour in Europe. I'm excited to be here, and uh, it's going to be a great program. Indeed. Uh, you've been, of course, in Italy, uh, subsequently also in Romania, visited there mm-hmm. our brothers uh, uh, and sisters from Alpha and Omega. How, how was that experience and what can you tell us very briefly about yeah. uh, how the Lord worked during this trip? Well, you know, Europe is in a very, very sad spiritual state right now. But uh, we can see that the, the remnant, that the, the, the people of God are uh, hungry and thirsty to, to get deeper. And, and, and Israel is a huge, huge thing that they want to know more about because they understand the media is the secular media. Uh, and I'm not talking about TV7 because TV7 is an anchor of uh, clear and, 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 and much more uh, reliable uh, information. But all the rest is, of course, very biased and anti-Israel. So we, I spoke in Milan, I spoke in uh, Sicily, and then I made it to uh, Romania to, of course, Alpha Omega is the, the TV station there, but I made it to the church uh, uh, of Biserica Pentecostala Elim, the largest church in that part of Romania. It was wonderful. Thousands of thousands of people came to every service, and the Lord has truly blessed. This is the Orthodox Pentecost. So I, I managed to be in a in a two long two days long festival that was uh, attended by many. It was wonderful. The Lord has truly blessed, and uh, but I'm I'm glad to be back also with my family and with you guys. Amen. Well, it's it's great to have you back and. I think Romania has still uh, many things ahead of it and many plans. Of course, it's it's very unfortunate to see such a country uh, so rich in resource, both human resource as well as material resources. Uh, it was actually one of the treasures of the Roman Empire from all places, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, full of gold, full of uh, other uh, precious metals and, and uh, gas. But uh, one of the, the main disheartening things about this place very much as uh in the other levels from the spiritual level is that it's exploited by foreign countries by foreign investors and as such also institutionally speaking there is much uh allegations of corruption and and challenges that this country is facing so it is a country to truly pray for with that being said we're, of course, dealing with Israel, uh, the Word of God, and, and how everything comes into play. And we've gone through quite a challenging month. The month of June was uh, uh, tremulous, uh, to say the least, with, uh, of course, 
the situation vis-a-vis the Gaza Strip, where uh, we have plenty of tensions, uh, there's been somewhat of a conflagration, then the situation alleviated once more, Egypt is playing to broker uh, a long-term truce, but we're looking to the north, we're looking to the east, and we have a new leader in the Islamic Republic of Iran, who by all accounts is the person set to replace the Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, uh, of course speaking about Ayatollah Ibrahim Raisi. And I, I'd like to hear from your perspective, what is the spiritual aspect of the person who is declaratively aimed to become also the replace uh, the replacement of the supreme leader, but currently also the chief advisor to the incumbent supreme leader. Yeah, you know, when we talk about Iran, we always have to remember that the, the Iranian people are wonderful people and most of them love Israel, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But then you have a country that has been taken hostage by the Ayatollahs in 1979. And ever since, of course, uh, that the place is, is a, a country within a country. And very, I guess, clever, in a very clever way, they created, uh, besides the military and the police that exist, they created their own, uh, you know, revolutionary guard corps. And and then there's two camps in the Iranian political map. There is the more, uh, you know, conservative hardliners, and there is the 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 ones that is more open to the West and to some some sort of uh, uh, dealing with it and all of that. Now, not that neither one of them is a lover of Israel or a lover of the West, but one thinks more rationally, the other one is not. What happened with these elections is that the hardliners won big time and Khamenei has his man now running the country and is making the strength and the power and the the the, the policy of, of the hardliners now you know, setting the tone in Iran. These are not just bad news for us. These are bad news for the Iranian people. Because if there was any glimpse of hope that somehow things will get better, uh, things are not going to get better. In fact, this uh, hangman, the hangman, he's the guy who is known as the executioner of thousands of people, is now the, the president. Raisi is actually coming from a lower level of uh I don't know, even know if to call it Ayatollahs. He's wearing a black turban, not even a white one. And the, the man was given, you know, uh, a chance to run a very successful and very powerful powerhouse of, uh, uh, you know, uh, financial institution. And then he moved to the judicial system to be overseeing everything. And, and right now he's been given the, the ultimate power that will eventually lead Iran to a conflict and a confrontation with Israel. Because I don't see how they go to a conflict with America. America is willing to literally give them almost everything they want. But the, the sounds that we hear from Israel are very different, as you know. Um, and so I believe that speaking of Bible prophecy, having the hardliners winning is playing straight into this whole scenario of a, of a very soon conflict with Iran, a part of a greater, uh, of course, uh, campaign. But Iran is not going to turn again, you know, uh, into a lover of Israel or maybe even a more um, you know, uh, some some sort of a, um, 
um, uh, what can I say, less extreme force in the Middle East. If anything, I think Raisi made it very clear in his first speech where he goes, things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse in the Middle East. And we will feel it because Iran's arms are in Syria, in Lebanon, they are in Gaza, they are definitely in Yemen and in Iraq. So, I mean, Israel is going to feel it and the whole world is going to feel it. Even the Saudis are feeling it right now. And uh, uh, we are watching also, um, they make great moves even within Yemen now as we speak today. Uh, so, hey, uh, our redemption is drawing near and uh, the, the Iranian president is not good news to anyone. Indeed, uh, of course, uh, referring to him as the hangman, talking about uh, the, the trials of 1988 when uh, he was one of a panel of four uh, as a young uh, cleric, uh, a judiciary, uh, if I'm not mistaken, who was the uh, deputy attorney general at the time of Isfahan. Afterwards, he uh, turned to become the deputy uh, attorney general in Tehran, then the attorney general and so on and so forth on the Islamic councils of uh, all places uh, and uh, during that time he himself together with that four person panel uh, being one of them condemned to death at least 30,000 Iranians uh, by hanging just uh, uh, giving a little bit of perspective to the degree of blood that is on his lips and tongue uh, and beyond that, uh, this person uh, is uh, also married to the, the Muazin, of, uh, the daughter of the Muazin of, of Isfahan, who is considered uh, a, a great Ayatollah uh, on the higher levels yeah. with a great following. So he does have uh, very strong connections to the hardliner streams yeah. within the Islamic Republic and uh, to really listen to his various uh, statements over the years, uh, just uh, uh, to see you know, how he was appointed. And yeah, it's Go funny ahead. how the Iranians never voted for him. And let, let's face it, uh, the Iranian uh, spiritual leader begged the Iranian people to go to vote for weeks, and they did not. And uh, they even showed some uh, YouTubes of supposedly long lines for the for, for the polling stations, but it was actually long lines for restaurants that later on we found out. Uh, it was a big scam. The parliament of Iran and the majlis uh, of, of, of their uh, religious council, they're all approved legal, uh, the elections, but these elections were far from being the will of the people. It's the will of the supreme leader, and that's all that counts uh, in a regime like that. And I think it's important to tell our viewers the president in Iran is not a president with supposedly executive powers. He is merely an advisor to the supreme leader who represents him on the state level vis-a-vis -vis the international community and domestically speaking. So people need to understand that. It's not just uh, the U.S. president or uh, the president in, in Germany or in Israel uh, either president or prime minister, of course, or chancellor for that matter. But uh, it has a very unique characteristic within the context of the Islamic Republic, uh, which is the government serving as the advisor to the, the supreme leader and the regime. But, I mean, the Islamic Republic of Iran 
is adamant, and it has been very clear, as he referred to, of course, to the first speech, to the first address of Ibrahim Raisi to the international community via the the press conference that he held in Tehran, in which he, he emphasized that the Islamic Republic's regional policies and its uh, missile program, ballistic missile program, uh, the whole capacity of its missile program are not negotiable. Signaling, of course, to the United States, signaling to Europe, we're not going to talk with you about, quote unquote, lengthening and strengthening the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is, of course, a technical term for the 2015 nuclear agreement with Iran. Uh, And it seems like they're even more obsessed with gaining the funds from reaching a certain agreement in the indirect talks uh, taking place currently in Vienna. An unscheduled uh, seventh round is about to take place, uh, during which they already hope to reach a certain understanding of returning to compliance, compliance for compliance with the United States, of course, uh, uh, allowing so many funds to be poured into the coffers of the Islamic Republic, which then would uh, allow the international community or the P5 plus one to curb its nuclear capabilities and uh, nuclear program. But uh, the very distinction of uh, what happened in 2015 to today is quite unique. It, It seems that the Iranians are quite adamant to expand, to prolong its activities throughout the region, to entrench further in Syria, in Lebanon, the Israeli military, the Israeli intelligence is currently referring to this area as an Iranian extension. It's no longer Lebanon or Syria. It is an Iranian extension. If we hear about one airstrike taking place in Syria, which we report about uh, from time to time, for every one mission of aerial bombardments, on specific uh, targets within Syria, three other such missions have been abandoned for various reasons, whether it is too dangerous for the uh, Israeli pilots or there are shifts on the ground, dynamical changes, intelligence assessments need to be uh, recalibrated, recalculated in how to operate. How do you see this play out in the Bible? The fact that Israel currently looks to the north and all it sees is Iran, Iran, Iran. Yeah. It doesn't see Lebanon. It doesn't see Syria. This is exactly it. Iran's long arms in Lebanon and Syria and Iraq, even in Yemen, are crippling those countries. Syria does not really exist anymore as a sovereign state. Jonathan, Lebanon is collapsing before our very eyes. It's not anymore a country that can stand on its own. And we see what's going on in Yemen and in Iraq as And that is why in Ezekiel 38, that next big war we're all talking about, those countries are not mentioned. This is exactly why they're not mentioned. They are no longer sovereign countries that pose an existential threat to Israel. It is Turkey, it is Iran, it is Russia, and maybe some two proxies of them in Libya and Sudan. But that's, we are not, unlike 
Psalm 83 spoke about the War of Independence. The War mm. of Independence, we were attacked by Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Egypt. And those names are well decorating those verses in Psalm 83. But we are in a different world right now. Those countries you just mentioned that are controlled by Iran are no longer sovereign countries. That is why when we talk about Persia, that's it. Persia dominates that place. Uh, and Lebanon is not uh, mentioned. Syria is not mentioned. And you and I know, Jonathan, that uh, in any war, that uh, regional war, Lebanon and Syria would really be the first candidates that we will consider being part of uh, any co Arab coalition. But they're not anymore. They're not. And I know we're worried about Hezbollah, but Hezbollah right now is in its weakest state ever. Yes, it has you know, tens of thousands of rockets, but it cannot afford a war that will be followed by rocket launching towards Israel. It cannot. N nor does Gaza at this point. Um, you know, they made a mistake. And right now, I think they smell the coffee now. When the dust settled and not a single dollar came from from Egypt or Qatar or all the other countries, and when they understand that the rules of engagement have changed, Israel is not going back to what we had before. We are expecting them to return the bodies of the Israeli soldiers and the two um, Israeli missing uh, 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 missing uh, in action. No. no. Uh, you're talking about the two civilians, civilians. that crossed into the border, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the rules, uh, have the rules have changed. With that being said, spiritually speaking, uh, we know that not everything that ha takes place is logically interpreted, in our eyes at least, not logical to the various perspectives of the various sides uh, involved in this encounter. And there is always the factor of mis miscalculation that is always spoken about. But uh, we look at Lebanon and Syria, as, as uh, I stated earlier, as a long arm of Iran, at least from a strategic, geostrategic level, on a tactical level. Uh, even the head of uh, the former president of Lebanon defined Hezbollah as a Iranian brigade in Lebanon, the Iranian army in Lebanon, uh, the entrenchment of Heshtashabi and, and the various components thereof, uh, which have been then flown into Syria, the, uh, the Afghan brigades, the Pakistani brigades that have been brought by the Iranians also into Syria, all serve various purposes of Iran in order to entrench itself militarily in that country. Uh, the United States then regards, of course, Russia as uh, uh, seeking a hot water base in Syria in order to infiltrate Africa from all places. But as part of that, we have, of course, Turkey, which is keen on maintaining a certain uh, territorial corridor for itself, both in Syria and uh, in Iraq, as well as a buffer zone from the various organizations that it views as terrorist groups. And then, of course, legitimizes itself from going southwards. Uh, it's not highlighted enough that Turkey is engaged in a military campaign against the PKK, against Hashishabi and, and various organizations assisting the PKK in northwestern Iraq. But let's focus on Lebanon. Ezekiel 31 
15, if you will. It says the following. Thus says the Lord God, when it goes down to Sheol, I will make the deep mourn for it and restrain its rivers and many waters shall be stopped. I will clothe Lebanon in gloom for it and all the trees of the field shall faint because of it. What is it referring to? How is this brought into context? Uh, we have multiple, of course, sightings in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel uh, speaking about Lebanon on so many levels. And, of course, most of them speaking about the glory of Lebanon, uh, not to forget that Lebanon uh, in the early 20s, mid-20s, was defined as Swiss d'Orient, uh, the uh, Switzerland of the Mediterranean uh, we're talking, of course, also about Beirut, uh, Paris d'Orient, the Paris of the Mediterranean. But it is slowly transforming into yeah. a, a desolate country with the, the corruption eating it from within and pulling it down. What does the Bible indicate to us with regard to Lebanon? And how does that also impact Israel? Yeah, well, you know, Lebanon was only established as a modern state and a sovereign state in the 1940s. And uh, it is definitely the fruit of the French attempt to uh, slice Syria and to create a place where they can put together Christians, Druze, Muslims, uh, all living together. Um, it you, you cannot find, uh, Jonathan, Lebanon as a an empire. In the ancient times, it was uh, city, uh, city countries like Tyre, like Sidon. They all had their own kings, and in fact, the king of, uh, of of Tyre was one of the wealthiest and the most powerful ones of all. That he actually considered himself as God. That's how much Tyre prospered in you know uh, two thousand five hundred years ago, and that's why we have prophecies against him who thinks. That he's and that he's God, and that's why a lot of people think maybe this is the Antichrist. No, no, that's ancient uh, king of Tyre. So what I'm trying to say, even in Ezekiel 31, from the very beginning, it was speaking of the cedar in Lebanon. Look, who's whom are you like in your greatness? He's speaking to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and then he says, "Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon. Cedar of Lebanon is considered." the strongest tree from which, by the way, if you ever go to the ancient boat that we found in Galilee from the time of Jesus, most of that boat was made of the cedar of Lebanon. It is strong, it is a symbol of strength, of sustainability, of, of durability. And so Lebanon, when you when you read about it, many times it's it's a symbol of something. It's not necessarily a country by itself. Again, it became a country as it was, it was sliced out of Syria. Why do you think Syria considered Lebanon as its own? Because it has been part of Syria until then. And and so I believe with all of well, my Well, the heart, entire area was Bilad Isham, the lands of Damascus, yeah, or at least defined exactly. as such. But uh, when we look at Syria and Lebanon, and, and you, you correctly mentioned they were part and parcel, at least under the Ottoman Empire. Uh, they were considered as two separate districts. 
Lebanon and Syria went to war against each other on multiple occasions right. during the time of the Ottomans. We saw, of course, uh, the the Arab revolt in uh, 1920, uh, in the 1920s, 26, 27, when Sultan Bash al-Atrash, of course, defeated the French and drew, drove them out of Syria into Lebanon. Uh, and there were different yeah. aspects, of sure. course, of the Amir of Jordan, uh, yes. or at least prior to Transjordan, uh, when he actually came into the area of the Transjordan, he was en route to battle the French, which yes. was then blocked by the British for yeah. obvious reasons. But you How can you see, see you're talking about modern days. You, you just mentioned the, from the Ottoman Empire and on, you see something like a, a glimpse of independence of that part to become later on a sovereign state. But in the ancient times, it was, of course, also, uh, you know, Lebanon was a, the place that the Crusaders loved. One of the reasons many of the Lebanese are fair, you know, skinned and fair haired and fair eyed is because they, uh, the locals were mixed with the European uh, Crusaders. And then the European Crusaders fell in love with Lebanon mountains and the valleys. It reminded them of Europe, but it was a much quieter and better place for them to live. And so they settled there. So to me, Lebanon is, of course, part of the Middle East, but uh, as a state, as a, as a sovereign state, it's going to be hard for Lebanon to exist um, because it really was a, a place that was artificially revived and, uh, and, and resuscitated by money that came from wealthy Arab countries that wanted Lebanon to be their um, playground. Let's face it, the Paris of the Middle East was, was Beirut. Let's face it, uh, the, the ski resorts in Lebanon, the places, I mean, it's a So, I mean, we, we have less than two minutes for today's program, Thanks. and I'd, I'd like to uh, clarify, if you will, uh, and understand very shortly, should Lebanon be regarded as, uh, on a biblical level, as an extension yes. of Iran, possibly, unless, of course, Hezbollah and the Iranian elements there are rooted out, and then it will be spared from... Yeah the Ezekiel 37-38-39 war, yes. or is this uh, is this the equation that we should look at it, this? Yeah, it is the equation, and I believe, Jonathan, that just as you said, the minute the radical Islamic movements will uh, disappear as a result of Ezekiel war, then you will see that the whole area will, will come into peace. This is the peace that eventually the Antichrist will introduce, but the peace will only come when the, when, when the radical Islam is gone, and that is how a third temple is enabled on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. As long as Islam is a strong, violent, and very, 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 um, uh, fun, fun, you know, uh, you know, uh, active uh, religion, it will never happen. You, you, you know, look, we we don't even touch Al-Aqsa, and they want a war already. What about a, a temple then? So yes, I believe that even with Lebanon, once Hezbollah will fall as a result of the fall of Iran of the Ayatollahs, Lebanon will enjoy peace and it will be wonderful for them. But again, that peace is biblically before uh, the tribulation, which the whole world, unfortunately, and is going to suffer. therefore, we should pray for, first of all, exactly. our brothers and sisters in Lebanon who are yes. in distress and for Lebanon as a nation, for their salvation yes. and peace. Uh, but Amir, this is all the time that we have for today's program. So 
God bless you. It's uh, been a delight listening to you as well and, and uh, uh, being able to share with you a little bit about the current situation. And we're looking forward to also next month where we will have also TV7 Steins Observer. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless you, Jonathan. Thank you. And I'd like also to thank our viewers, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.